it shouldn't be that way. Like bras are just bras. They're just a tool to help you feel better and wear clothes in ways. And, but it's, but that's what it all accumulates to. And so you immediately feel shame about your body and you immediately feel shame about anything going forward that has to do with that conversation. Welcome to the Babel podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees. And I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Alrighty. Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to the Babble podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I'm excited for every conversation. Obviously, I say that every time, but oh my God, today I am joined by the one, the only, the effervescent, the luscious, the incredible Hallie Platts. She is a multi-hyphenate, extraordinaire y'all she is a creative person she is a lovable person like she's I'm, I'm biased but she is also kind of my best friend so I'm so excited to have her on today because I think her insight on some very particular topics are really going to be expansive and honestly healing for a lot of people who are in the creative industry um she is a performer when she wants to be She's a writer. She's a composer. She's a lyricist. She apparently, according to her her email, was voted most stressed in high school, which I can also attest to. (laughs) And I'm just so excited to have. Yes. And I I assume it is correct. So Hallie, I love you. Thank you so much for being with me today. I am so happy to be here. I love you. And if I could copy and paste that intro into everything I freaking do, I would. So thank you so much. You are, I also am so excited because you are my best friend. So that, that let that shine among all the things. <laughs> I know that people are going to, as they're listening to this, be like, oh, this energy, can I handle it? I'm not sure. No, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't, but you can, and you absolutely should. So Absolutely. Hallie, Hallie, Hallie. Um, first question I have for you, just tell the people kind of what your, I, this is a bad question. I'm going to word it again. Tell the people what your thing is like you're, I said, you're creative, like you're a writer, performer, things like that, but tell, tell a little bit more specifically about your niche, the things you enjoy creating that kind of thing. So people get to know you a little bit more. Oh, that's a great question. I'm constantly trying to answer it. Um, But I see myself as firsthand in service of stories and in service of underrepresented voices. Um, And by underrepresented, I don't just mean one thing. I mean, just exciting new things that are relatable to the average person, to a person just living their life, trying to survive, trying to thrive. Um, I'm a big, uh, I have 
a huge love for movies because I grew up, that was like my medicine outside of just normal therapy uh, and normal medicine, um, which everybody should take normal medicine. But uh, but yeah, movies have been a big part of my life. I um, am diving into the film and TV industry as a scriptwriter, as a uh, performer. Like you said, when I want to be, I really appreciate that because <laughs> I, I do want to be, but yeah, it's it's become kind of a thing where I, I, my biggest heroes are like the people making their own way in the media industry. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda is a big one for me. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Issa Rae, Lena Waithe, Mindy Kaling. Those are my, that, those are just a few on my Mount Rushmore of like who I base my entire creative career out, out of. And so I'm writing a bunch of scripts that hopefully will become feature films and television series. And I'm working on a musical piece right now for the stage uh, good things are cooking. Thank God. Um, it's been a very tough year for multiple reasons, but now that I've gotten a little bit mentally healthier, um, and by a little bit, I mean a big amount of mentally healthier. Um, I tend to just kind of go into all of those things and I, I like to focus on comedy. So rock music and comedy. So if you think Lin-Manuel meets Bo Burnham, uh, meets Richard Linklater, I'm the female child of all of those guys which is just amazing I am in love with that combo um that's incredible so yeah no of course um and you are from Texas yes but you yes but you are moving back to New York because you were in New York before the pandemic that's correct New York is home part two uh Dallas is original home I love Dallas but it is home in the way that it's, it's kind of like I know it too well. Um, I don't I don't feel myself living there or thriving there, but New York has been a big surprise of a of a love story in terms mm-hmm. of just finding a community. I have incredible friends, an incredible artistic and spiritual and um, just family, family, I call it friend family uh, support system. And I'm ready to go. I'm so ready to go back. It's not even funny. I moved back in August. So ready. <laughs> We're ready to have you back. I'm so excited. Um, Our apartment's going to be so cute. Um, I'm so excited. It's so exciting. So, okay. So yeah. And you grew up in, in terms of religion, you grew up in the Christian church. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Amazing. Any specific denomination like Baptist or anything? No specific denomination. I guess the, the, the denomination I'm most familiar with is Baptist, but that's only because uh, in Dallas, that's where my mom's from and that's where she grew up and therefore my mom's family is around and that's how they grew up. So that's the most, but it's it's a funny thing to ask because I actually am very familiar with multiple denominations, having gone to private school my entire life, uh, not necessarily for religious reasons, more just because that was where my family knew people. I was in the private school districts of Dallas. So I've gone to an Episcopal school and then I moved to a Church of Christ school. And then we both went to the same university, which is a Baptist university. So definitely not a one denomination person and (laughs) it it won't dive more into it. But yeah, I've, I've seen everything in every shape and form. Cool. Amazing. So let's let's dive right into it and just kind of walk us through just kind of generally, you can start wherever you'd like, but how has growing up in the Christian faith affected you as an artist, as a creator? What does that, what does that mean for you? 
Oh my goodness. What a big question. Yeah, uh, it's, huge. it's huge for me. It's huge. I love, I mean, I, I am a Christian still. I'm a proud Christian still, but I am a Christian separate from the religious expectations that I find in, you know, in, in what people normally think of Christian religion. Uh, so I'm a proud, like self-discovered religion anyway, or Christian, excuse me. But, uh, but yeah, it's been good for me because I grew up watching Veggie Tales. Like I literally, the first thing that came to mind when you, when you asked me that is Veggie Tales was amazing. And like the, the way they told stories, which were Bible stories told with vegetables. If you don't know what this is, you need to YouTube it. It's all on YouTube, all the nineties animation. Oh, God, man. I love it so much, but it's really like, it was everything I loved. It was comedy. Mm. It was music. It was uh, Bible stories, which, you know, growing up as a kid, you kind of have, at least for me, growing up in Texas, I had Disney movies and I had Bible stories. Like those yep. were my two kind of story, you know, stories that were told to me or like consumption. I eventually got Harry Potter, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as a little, little kid, the first imprinted, you know, stories into my brain were Veggie Tales and Disney. And so, <laughs> and it was everything I loved. And um, I, I stand Veggie Tales. I defend it to the death. It's fantastically done. It's very open and honest, but also very um, relatable in a weird way. Like mm. it just gets to the core of what everything is talking about within a biblical context. It, it really does filter out all the, all the crap <laughs> in my mind um, and gets to the real heart of it. And so it's very important to me. And as I've grown up, it's changed, obviously, but I feel the purity of just wanting to tell people that they are loved by God. Like that is always with me and that I take very seriously. Um, that's what VeggieTales did. It literally ends every episode with, and don't forget, God made you and he loves you very much. Like that's how they ended every episode. And it's mm. so simple, but that's it. Like that's, they, they figured it out, <laughs> you know, um, in a nineties kid show about vegetables. And so that's what comes first to mind. It's, it's obviously evolved since then, but that is the core of it. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's beautiful. Um, cause I find that as someone who is a part of a religion, whether they're part of the institutionalized religion or the, just the spiritual, um, people often people who are outside of either the arts or religion or both kind of look, try to look in and say, Oh, how do you blend those two together? Like those two worlds don't seem like they should be able to coincide. Um, because, you know, artists are like, Oh, sex, drugs, rock and roll in a lot of people's minds. And then obviously religious people are not that in most people's minds. <laughs> so I, I love that you focus so heavily on the fact that at the end of the day, you're loved no matter what. And, and that comes across so beautifully in your writing. Um, I know oh. you're writing, I know you're writing very well. Um, and it's, it's yeah, amazing. Sure. Another, another big thing, another big theme in your writing too, is femininity and what it means mm -hmm. to be a woman. Um, can you speak to that a little bit and why that's such a, a big topic for you? I appreciate you asking that. And also, thank you. Uh, I think the world of you so that I send you everything I write. So um, you're my brain trust, you and uh, a few other ladies. Um, femininity. Wow. That's a yeah, it's huge for me because 
And it actually does tie to religion now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, growing up, uh, you know, my mom is a big, strong executive woman and I love her so much. She's in the business world. She's one of the generations of like 80s, 70s women that kind of like, you know, immediately were able to suddenly get a credit card on their own and didn't have to, you know, turn down an internship because she was pregnant. Like my grandmother had to do that actually. And, you know, and she was raised by very strong women. I'm very, very blessed to have an amazing, um, kind of against the grain Dallas, <laughs> Dallas, uh, woman to, to just constantly go back to in my brain. Um, they're very, very progressive, actually, in, in the middle of what we're doing. But I, I was raised around a lot of strong women between my aunts, my mother, my grandmother, um, my friends. I mean, I, my teachers. So that kind of became a thing. But uh, the other thing was I basically grew up in private school, right? So a big thing was modesty. That was pretty imprinted pretty early. Um, suddenly it went from just, you can be pretty in a bow, which I loved doing as a little kid to, oh, suddenly, you know, when your body evolves, you, you immediately have to find other ways to be feminine besides like the way that you're being told that actually is feminine. And it just kind of is a, is a many years of stuff that, just between body image and between, you know, what I liked, I was a rock and roll girl. Like I remember being 13 and putting on like a hat that I'm sure was a boy's hat, but it had like plaid on it. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so I was just constantly trying to just find ways around getting called out for being not, you know, for being not modest enough or too modest or, and still looking cute and still looking fun. And and so I think all of that just eventually evolved into, I just loved, you know, girls I saw around me in the arts and I saw them being underused or overused in just really either boring or just like weird ways that just rubbed me the wrong way. And all of that accumulated into kind of me just wanting to constantly be rebellious and saying, no, this is what femininity is. This is what being a woman is. Everybody deserves their moment to show whatever side they want. And I finally got to a point where I saw this incredible play. I was working in California. I was very lucky. And I uh, saw this incredible play by Aziza Barnes called Blacks. Uh, they uh, created this incredible this picture of their friends and their life in Brooklyn, which was a world that I didn't know because I was growing up in Dallas and I didn't have, I didn't have money to travel to New York all the time. But, uh, I, but I saw their world and I saw just a night of them having fun together. And it was, uh, them and their girlfriends and like one guy. And I was like, Oh my God, you can make a play about that. And it, it can happen and be fun and just interesting and just a vision of that. So I took that and I ran with it and I made a bunch of plays with just girls, maybe one or two guys, so that I didn't get the note that was like, well, it's only girls, you know. Um, so that's where it kind of came from, I think, was just a constant rebellion against what anybody was telling me was feminine. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I'm really proud of, I'm really proud that I had the, the gung-ho to do it early. Uh, now I'm now I'm kind of moving into a little bit more of a space where I'm like, I'm done explaining it to people. I just want to put girls in everywhere and just have it not be about being feminine or what mm -hmm. people's expectations are. I think that's a post pandemic feeling though, if I'm being honest, it's sure. kind of, I'm just kind of like out of, 
I'm done explaining stuff to people in that way, but I'm very, very proud of, of the journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, as a, as I've said, I think it's an incredible thing to recognize that, oh, there are multiple ways that a woman can be a woman, many ways that a person can be feminine. You know, the definition of feminine is not just skirts and bows and it's not just sugar and rainbows. You know, it's, it's a spectrum of many, many things. And women are just as complicated of human beings as men or as people who are not gender specific. Like there's, there's just so much nuance to it that I think you capture beautifully in your writing. And um, I would love to talk about that a little bit more in the context of growing up in a, in a private school, because I didn't grow up in a private school. I grew up in a public school where we had a dress code, like everybody, everybody did, but you know, you still obviously had the right to wear whatever you wanted within that dress code. So we could express ourselves a little bit more. Can you talk about what being in a private school kind of embedded in you or, or taught you about what it meant to be feminine or how to express yourself that kind of eventually led you to this rebellion of like, no, there's more to this. Oh my gosh. That's a great question. (laughs) Um, yeah, I did not know public school had uh, dress codes, first of all. That is so interesting to me because in our heads, we were always like, they get to do whatever they want. Those oh, no. Peeps. There's still, wow. There's still very much restriction, especially on the women. Men didn't really have any. Oh, but, of course. But women did. Yeah. Of course. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, man, it's funny because private school is just a whole bunch of weird and a whole bunch of it's it's like a microcosm of just a bunch of problems that we see in society. And a bunch of like good things, too. I mean, it's not I, I'm I'm I, I'm thankful for the experience. You know, I mean, it's an experience a lot of people on third wanted to have. But, yeah, this part kind of messed me up because I grew up and I grew I formed very early <laughs> and it it's, it's a part, you know, I just, I'm just very genetically early <laughs> with a lot of stuff, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I, it, that was the big thing was, it was the first thing that made me call attention to my body. Hmm. I felt for a long time, very much like kind of free. And I remember very much like feeling the transition very intensely, mostly because the uniforms that we were wearing just were not curve friendly. Mm-hmm. And it was like in the 2000s. So there weren't that many clothes that were curve friendly. And it was just like, I'm like nine or 10. And suddenly people are telling me to wear a bra. And I'm like, wait, bras are for grownups. Like, I remember thinking that is like bras are for grownups or like, well, nobody else is doing that. So why do I have to do that? Like, I don't want to do, I don't, unless it's normal, I don't mm-hmm. want to do it. And yeah. You know, I did have a wonderful, like, (laughs) very feminine uh, group of aunts and family that were like, this is just the way it's got to go. You just, you're, you're forming and that's what's happening. And like, God bless them for that. But also like, as more of, as less of a very uh, extroverted child, I was a little more introverted. I was like, I don't want you guys to act like this with me right Mm -hmm. now. But, um, but yeah, you just started getting called out by teachers. And even if it was female teachers, mm. um, skirts were a big thing because I'm not a tall girl. I'm like five, four, and that's like a victory. And so I was just a shorty, like busty kid 
Um, and suddenly I just felt like the adults were calling me out for one reason, but the kids didn't know what to do about it. Like the kids were just kind of like, should I feel uncomfortable by her being curvier and like Mm. wearing a longer skirt? Like it just, it was so awkward and it felt terrible, but, and then growing, but growing up, I finally kind of found a way to manage, like, here's how to be modest and here's when, and here's how to like do here's how to do what they want without totally compromising who I am, which that came in the form of kind of dressing a little less traditionally feminine Mm. because put me in a dress and suddenly people are staring, which I don't mind. You know, sometimes it's okay. And now I'm starting to own it a little better, but I started just being like, I'm when I'm allowed, I'm going to wear jeans, motorcycle boots and a cool top. And then I'll be like, I'll be, cute enough and then not sexy enough. And here's how I'm going to do it. Whereas girls who were just, you know, gorgeous girls, I grew up around a lot of gorgeous girls, but girls who were just easier to dress in the 2000s, I suppose, they could kind of get away with maybe something a little shorter, a little, you know, more low cut, a tank top Mm -hmm. or something like that. With me, it's always an issue. It it was always an issue. Now I just don't care. But, (laughs) um, but yeah. And so that, uh, it, it just gets into your head and makes mm. you self-conscious in ways that are already difficult because we're girls and the world is already telling us how to do things. And also I have sensory integration dysfunction. So I'm big on comfort. Like I have to have comfortable clothes. Mm-hmm. And so all that on top of just, it, it's like you have to worry about internal and external factors in everything. And I hope this is a good answer. It's a it lot. is. No, no, no. It's, it's, a a, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, because I think that too many people are, too many people are scared to talk about that kind of thing. I mean, it's everyone knows, or I guess I shouldn't say everyone. Every woman has had some sort of issue with their the way they dress growing up one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's a beautiful thing that you mentioned that you you had a couple of things, quote unquote, working against you. You had the fact that you were developing early which made you kind of stand out. And then you had the fact that you are a curvier woman on top of that, which has its own set of, um, has its own set of quote unquote issues when it comes to dress, um, in society. Um, so no, I think it's a beautiful answer and I think it's, it's great. Um, was the private school you went to, was it a religious private school or was it? Oh yes. All of them. All of them. Yes, all of them were religious. The one where I started forming early was a Church of Christ one. And no shade to Church of Christ. I know a lot of great Church of Christ people, but uh, they tend to be a little bit more on the presentation. Uh, and I don't mean that in a in a shady way necessarily. I just mean like they, they are very much <laughs> a little more on the traditional dress lane. They're a little bit more on the traditional music lane. Um, they just want every, there's a style. You know, there's a style to the doc, the uh, denomination. Mm. Um, and that's something that actually I think Christianity is kind of now reckoning with is, hey, the style that goes along with you is not is not OK, just as much as the teachings are not OK. And I, I'm big on that. I really have an issue with just styling a denomination. Mm. Um, but that's kind of been a thing, you know, that'll be a thing. And has been a thing forever probably but yeah church of christ is a little more style you know sunday dress you know flat shoes um it's it's not about showing how much money you have which great but and it's so and they very much like have a 
certain style of femininity that they expect, which is kind of a what you would think of as like a traditional, you know, Sunday school girl, mm-hmm. like a day dress kind of sundress kind of girl. And I knew a lot of those girls and I respected them, but it was also very apparent that I was never going to be considered that simply because I had to either go full, here's my body or full hide my body. There was Mm. no in between. And I was, so I kind of, you know, and I've got the personality where I'm like, you know what, whatever, I don't care (laughs) enough to, to really think about this. But at the same time, it wears you down when you feel like, okay, we're doing after school activities, we're doing sports, we're doing you know, even like events, like, like out of school events, like fundraisers, you just, you're like, how do I dress? You're always thinking about it. You always got to reckon with it. And there's no, there, you have very few options and Mm -hmm. it sucks because it's like, it shouldn't be about that. None of it should be about that. Of course not, but it's, but it is. And it ultimately affects kind of what we were saying earlier, that that's what it all plays into of, are you feminine or are you not? Because it often feels like when you're growing up, especially in a religious kind of world, um, like you said, you, you when you either have to show off your body or you completely hide it, it feels like I'm either feminine or I'm not. And, exactly. And that really, kind of like what you said earlier, it really fucks with you because yeah, because especially for me, I've I've touched on this in a in a previous episode where I went to, um, if you, if, for those of you who are listening, it's the second episode, um, where I talk about my story with the trench coat of shame. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Hallie knows the story. Um, we have, boy, I was mad when you told me that story the first time. Girl. So mad. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I get, I get pretty passionate in that episode of telling the story and I don't mean to be, but, but again, cause it, it, that single instance, like in my kind of in my therapy and in my writing of this book that I decided to just kind of use as fuel for this podcast, I, I was able to isolate that incident as the, the, like the straw that broke the camel's back, the catalyst that stripped me of my personality, of my style and of my femininity. Um, and for a long time, I've been working to get that back and rebuild who I am. I'm getting a lot better at it. Um, like this, this top that I'm wearing right now, this top would never, would never in a million years have worn it ever, ever, ever. If you had asked me like six months ago, would have been like, yeah, well, because it would have been like, Oh, boobs. Like, oh, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. No, dude, boobs are usually the cornerstone of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't mean to generalize and maybe I'm speaking for like way more women than actually feel this. But for me, it's like, it's always boobs. Like why are boobs the thing that we go to the first thing? Maybe for some girls, it's a butt, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's like, yeah, the first thing I got when I realized my body was being told to wear a bra and growing up in a pretty, you know, not shallot, but like still kind of sheltered um, house. It's like bras to me meant sexy. Like mm. I didn't really know too much about sex or anything at the time of being nine years old, but, <laughs> Thank God. but it was like, yeah, didn't ask, didn't want to know, didn't, didn't care to know. And, uh, 
And yeah, and, and immediately when people would tell me to wear a bra or this was the kind of bra I needed, I'm like, stop like putting that on me. Like, I don't mm. want that. I'm nine, I'm 10. I don't want that. Do these things that you are implying with that and it shouldn't be that way like bras are just bras they're just a tool to help yeah. you feel better and yeah. wear clothes in ways and but it's but that's what it all accumulates to and so you immediately feel shame about your body and you immediately feel shame about anything going forward that has to do with that conversation yeah so, I, absolutely yeah um another quick story from from my high school um and then I'm going to let you talk some more. Cause I love hearing you talk. Um, but oh, I'm, I, I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing great. Um, Boy. so I was a, Oh God, like freshman or sophomore in high school, I want to say, and I was at my locker and you were assigned your locker by, um, last name. So like I was always by similar people with my locker, Mm. which is cool because like, I got to know people throughout my high school years, but there was this one dude and I can't even remember his name now. Like, I don't know who he is anymore, but he had a reputation of being like kind of pervy because he would just Uh. make, he would just make comments. Like he didn't have a filter. If, if he thought something, he just kind of said it. Gotcha. And gotcha. so I'm at my, so I'm at my locker one day and this guy that I'm speaking of, he happens to be like kind of in my group of people that I always have a locker next to. Um, so I'm at my locker and I'm about to go home. Like I'm done for the day and I'm wearing a bra, but I'm wearing like, it's an underwire bra. That's just like silk. Like it's a very thin bra but it's a bra. So I'm like, I'm wearing a bra. No one can yell at me for not wearing a bra, but it's, but it's thin and it's cold. Like I'm right underneath the AC. So my nipples are showing through my shirt and through my bra. And they do do because it's a nipple. Like (laughs) that's what happens. But uh, the point of the story is to kind of talk back to the the shame aspects that you were just talking about. Um, That he looks at me, leans over and is like, I can see your nipples. And I was oh like, my God. Okay. <laughs> I, I swear to God, that's happened to me too. I don't I was, remember the exact instance, but that is, I, I don't oh. know who it was or when, but that's happened. Yeah, no, he didn't say that. I'm sorry. I just like the memory just like flooded back to me. He said, um, he leaned over and asked me, are you wearing a bra? Uh. And I was like, Jesus. Yes. And then he said, are you sure? Cause I can see your nipples. Sure. And I was like, am I sh-? Yes. I'm wearing a, like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't with him, but it was no, like, that's insane. What, but that's another time where I, the- that was another time where I was like, okay, now I have to like, make sure my bras are thick enough to always make sure my nipples aren't showing if I get cold, like. Jesus Christ. See, the the finish line always moved, right? It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, but then there's always like something that you didn't catch. Right. Like, oh my God. But you you asking like, do you know your nipples are showing or like, Mm -hmm. hey, your nipples are showing. I've had so many of those from kids, from adults, from all genders, like all, everybody around. And it's just because I think we're all conditioned within religious spaces to just have our eyes on that. And like, 
get it. I don't get it. I especially don't get it when it happens to like middle school kids. Mm. That makes me really mad because those kids are already going through, you know, we all, we all know more and more about what kids are going through biologically. And it's like, just let the kids be kids as long as they can. I know. And uh, yeah, I, I have a big weird relationship with teachers for a lot of these reasons, but the worst thing you can do to women, to anybody though, is to make them aware of themselves in a like in a negative way in a way that makes them feel like they are encroaching on a space now obviously like we need accountability and stuff like that but i'm just talking about like when it's just they're existing it's Mm -hmm. just them being who they're having the body they have or being the maybe a kind of like passion passionate person that they are um you know, having different personalities, like, I don't know, we're both 90s kids, 90s QK kids. So I just feel like a lot of stuff was snuffed out by by either us or our classmates that now mm. I look back and I'm like, oh my God, if I knew what I knew now back then, I would be the adult in the room that was like, leave that kid alone. He's got like ADD, leave that kid alone. Like she's just got, she's got boobs early. Who cares? Right. Like we, we can so crazy. Anyway, I'm a happy person normally, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, we get, that, we get passionate that makes here. Me next level. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes me next level mad is yeah. teachers or, or adults that have no, I no no reason to do that doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so next thing I want to talk about with you is if you're comfortable is I would love for you to kind of walk us through your journey with your faith over the past like couple of years. Cause I know that in the past Ooh. couple of years, it's really gotten bumpy. You've come out the other side and you're beautiful, but, um, <laughs> oh my God. You're welcome. But I think it would be a really beautiful testimony if you if you're willing to share kind of the what you've been what you've been uh, working through lately. Um, well, it's a lot. So I'm going to try to filter it as much as I can. Uh, not filter like the content, but just filter the information. But yeah, I mean, the past my God, six years have just been a change in everything. I feel like everybody is having more conversations, different conversations, better conversations. We're diversifying our spaces better. We're we're just letting ourselves fail. Um, well, you know what? I take that back. We're not letting ourselves fail better. Uh, we need to do that. That's something the next step is for. But that's my opinion. But we're, we're just allowing for more discomfort. We're allowing for more information and et cetera, et cetera, in every facet of life. Um, but for me, it's just been learning. I've really become a student of other people and not of authority, which is really important, I think, in faith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're taught, listen to teachers, listen to the people in charge, listen to the people, you know, that's just ingrained in you. And as a kid who, you know, obviously I've already said how I've stuck out <laughs> in reasons that I couldn't control, whether it was physically, mentally, etc. Um, I just wanted to not be a problem. So I just like became the sweet girl, the nice girl. I stifled my sense of humor. I stifled my edgy, my edges. I stifled my sexuality. I stifled my daringness, my ambition. And I kept, and and while I didn't lose them, thank God, um, there's something in me that I believe is a Holy Spirit thing that just won't let me. So we get to like the right, it's like 2015 and you know, everything is, social media has become a more of a thing. We're learning better, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm suddenly realizing that many narratives are actually more accurate than one narrative. I know that's ridiculous, but when you're in, 
when you're conditioned in religious atmospheres, you are taught like, if you don't believe the one thing and all of it and all the pieces of it, and that God is in it all the time and like has complete control over it, you don't believe any of it. Like if you don't believe all the pieces we've told you, you don't believe any of it. Um, which to me, I never bought completely. I was always kind of a little bit trying to ask hard questions. Like I think I asked one teacher one time in a very small class, like if Judas might have not gone to hell and it created like a little kerfuffle, but like not a big one because I still wanted to maintain sweet girl status. It's a great question um, though. But- <laughs> Got it a lot. And I think there's a lot to be said for either way, but you know, whatever, that's something I'll ask God in the great Starbucks in the sky. But, um, but, uh, that's a Knox and Jamie reference. Go Knox and Jamie. Okay. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so we get to where suddenly I'm like seeing people first on be like, no, this is my truth. This is my story. And it, and this is how it happens. And I put all the pieces together because I'm a big a big nerd and I do a lot of research on things and I care because it's people I know suddenly it's more more people that are just willing to say things that they weren't always willing to say and so I'm like looking and I'm doing the work of unpacking deconstructing reconstructing and I'm like yeah this holds up because this actually solidifies what Jesus and what God were saying in the biblical teachings whether they you know they didn't write them technically but it in all the dialogue that they speak and in all the, all the, this is what God said, this is what Jesus said, it all holds up to people having multiple realities, multiple truths, multiple, you know, um, stories for themselves that really are important if we want to take each other seriously and therefore take God seriously because God Mm -hmm. made everybody. (laughs) And so I started going gung-ho on that and really incorporating that into just my every piece of theology, I believe. I I deconstructed everything I'd been told. Um, I still am in a lot of ways. And I'm unpacking a lot of inner turmoil, you know, brought on by just the first two decades of my life being one way. And it was also interesting because at the same time we were at the we were at university when a lot of this deconstruction was going on. So we were kind of told, like, this is how you display how you believe your new radical thought, (laughs) like, and it it would be like bullet points, exactly this way. And if you do anything else, you're wrong and you're insulting everyone. And it's like, that's just ridiculous too, because there's no one way to support someone. There's no one way to, you know, validate someone. There's no one way to give someone a voice. And so I was deconstructing how to do the right thing as well as what the right thing was at the same time. And then I, you know, when I finally got to New York, it just became a much more free atmosphere where people were just like, oh my God, like give the time of day. And suddenly like, it's just, (laughs) it's just, I want to say it's just treasured more. Like there's just, you really have to be there for people. Mm -hmm. And when you are, it's really reciprocated. And not that it's about the reciprocation, but it's just, it's received better because there's so much miscommunication due to so much trauma within, you know, traditional religious spaces. And so it kind of blew my mind just that people, no matter what their religion, no matter what they thought, were just willing to receive love even more openly. And were willing to go with you on a journey of this deconstructing, reconstructing. And frankly, the journey of that is a blessing. Like it's a blessing to have to deconstruct and reconstruct as opposed to just live through some 
bullshit, frankly. And so I did that with everything. I did that with sexuality. I did that with, you know, culture. I did that with uh, gender roles. I did that with race relations. I did that with American history and American theological history. I did it with, um, I did it with just like interactions between people. I did it with any, any big topic that would come up because I'm a person that really values, you know, big topics in news and culture and pop culture, because I think it, I think it matters. And I think mm-hmm. it matters what stories we tell based on it. Um, which I'm, that's, that goes back to being in service of story and others, which is the most important thing. But anyway, you have to do that. And it's just, uh, so it's been a big, big, big learning experience with that. The big thing I've learned this past year is just realize what spaces are worth your time. I hate saying it like that, but it's just the truth. Realize what spaces are worth your time. Realize what individuals are willing to listen to you. Um, and are willing to receive love and are willing to receive just just what the energy that you are putting forward. And it's really, it's not about agreeing on everything. It really isn't, but it is about a fundamental willingness to adapt, learn, include love, all of those things. And so, yeah, that's been the, that's been the journey this year. It's been a very painful one. I've had to do a lot of cutting, which sucks. Hmm. Um, but it's great. I mean, it, it, it's made me healthier. It's made, it's made, it's, it's pushed things forward in the right way. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, oh, it's I, too rambling. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And again, I, I love everyone's journey is beautiful for their own reasons and everyone's journey has something that someone else can learn from. And I, I love that yours is so much about that honest and true deconstruction, reconstruction, like your journey is not like your journey is different from mine because in mine, I decided that Christianity and just organized religion as a whole is not really anything I'm vibing with at the moment. And I decided to step away, but you came to the conclusion yourself through research, through your own thought, through therapy, through, you came to the conclusion yourself that you, you do believe this and you do believe that God is love and God has all of these incredible things that he's still doing in the world, still working through. And I think that's beautiful. I respect you so much for your faith because you took the time to make sure that that was yours. And so I thank you. I, I also want to say like, it's a privilege to be able to do that. It's a Mm. privilege to not have so much trauma inflicted on you that you actually can uh, face something uh, in that way. Um, I I just, I'm, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, what I almost feel like a survivor. I know that's ridiculous, but it almost feels like, why didn't I leave everything? Mm -hmm. And because I don't blame anybody who has because of all the stuff that we all know to be true, all the bigotry, all the unwillingness to just listen, I mean, or even have a conversation. It's insane. And so, and so I don't blame anybody for the decision they make when it comes to organized religion, especially like in any, in any one shape or form. Um, but I do, but I do just think it's the reason that I am so proud to still say I am a Christian is because when I look at the Bible and when I really look at the scripture, God and Jesus are not the problem. 
like God and Jesus and the spirit are not what is telling people the things that are causing trauma and are driving people away. I fundamentally believe that. And so it's like, and there's so much evidence in that that is just being misinterpreted, mistranslated, mistold. And it makes me mad and it makes me sad. And I want to be the person that hopefully comes across people that need to hear that that's not what it's actually saying. Like, it's almost like telling people the world's round. You're like, oh my God, like, I don't expect anybody to believe it upon me telling them, you know, immediately, or I don't expect them to even like change their mind about it necessarily. But it's like, you want to be the person that if you know it, you say it like, and I know a lot of people in that boat and I'm really lucky to, but don't get me wrong. It feels like an absolute, it feels like I got off. Like, Mm. so I want to validate what you're saying and say, it's absolutely yes. Like, yeah, that's how that's how it freaking is. Like people <laughs> leave and people need to because that's what's healthiest. And you know, it all things can work in in its own way. And like, who cares? It, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing it. But no, you're fine. Please keep going. So passionate. I'm getting very passionate. Um, that's good. But uh, <laughs> so it's like, who cares? Like the right things are the right things at the right time. And mm. I'm just saying things now that I believe. I'm sorry. I'm I'm saying a lot of taglines for No, you're great. These are great. I love taglines. I could use taglines. But I, look, the point is like the point is it's about doing the work. It's about mm-hmm. if you can do the work, if you have energy to put into it, do it. And if you don't, there's a reason you're not and it's probably not because you're it's either because you don't have any energy left, which is correct, um, <laughs> which is very, very correct, or it's because, you, frankly, the people I've run into a lot of times just aren't willing to, mm-hmm. and it sucks. And that th- there's nothing that makes me more annoyed or, or frankly, pissed than someone just not willing to because it's too much work, yeah, um, or because they'd rather just like keep finding teaching within the confines of what they believe which is lame because when you learn better, you do better. What is it? The Maya Angelou quote, no better, do better. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the truth. And frankly, a lot of people don't have the privilege, the privilege, excuse me, uh, the privilege or the resources to know better. So it's not even their fault, frankly, a lot of mm-hmm. times, sometimes it is, but a lot of, I mean, you should just be a good person in general, but you know, a lot of people don't have resources to know better. So if you do, it makes me even crazier, which is a big, um, <laughs> a big full circle thing to Dallas area stuff. Um, it's like, I know a lot of people with money, well-traveled people who are within the church or within many churches, many denominations. And it's like with all your breadth of knowledge and experience and meeting people and doing things, you really can't tell me that you haven't like expanded your thought around certain things. Like it drives me up a wall. Yeah. And um, anyway, but I digress. It's all a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, like you said, it's not an easy process to do at all. It's it's hard work and it's painful work. Um, but you know, like, like the Phoenix, we burn it all down so we can rise up again. Um, oh man, Hallie, you are incredible. I love you so much. I thank you so much for your, your candidness and for your passion and for your words today. Um, I really do think that there are people who will vastly benefit from hearing your perspective. And I already know that there are people who have massively benefited from your writing and from your work that you've already put out into the world. And it will only continue with everything that you have going on. Um, Where can the people listening 
find you, if they want to follow you or keep up with you? Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I could talk about this all day. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. That's the only social media I currently use. Uh, and you can find me at just house, which is spelled J U S T H A L Z with an underscore at the end, because that's my, that's what we're working with here. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to link that in the show notes for you guys. So it's just an easy scroll down and click and boom, you will be immersed in the wonderful world of Hallie Platts. And I I am just so, I'm just so happy to know you and to have you in my circle. And I'm, I can't wait to be with you again and hug you and squeeze you. I'm so ready. I can't wait to give you the biggest freaking hug and just spend <laughs> up all night talking these things and oh, having man. Some drinks and going to some movies. It's the best. But thank you so much for having me. This is going to change lives. And just we're talking about the real shit. And that's what's important. And just know one last thing is just like if you're on this journey of deconstruction and reconstruction, know that while it absolutely is a privilege to do so, like give yourself a little bit of rest time, immerse yourself with people you love. Uh, take care of yourself in the middle of it because it's it's a it is a lot. It's exhausting work and um, and get get help where you need it because it's not a journey anybody should take alone. But it's a journey that will be super fruitful. Mm, that's I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that.